Hi, welcome to Exploring Illusion of Free Will. My name is George Ortega, and today is uh, Tuesday, uh, July 22nd, 2014, and this is episode number 165, and the title is Free Will, Refutation, Cost, Role in Climate Change Denial, Part 5. Okay, this is Part 5 of a series that I'm, I'm going through this book that I published in April 2014, just a few months ago, titled Free Will, Its Refutation, Societal Cost, and Role in Climate Change Denial. And basically the, uh, the theme of this book is that like, you know, a lot of people are beginning to understand that yes, we don't have a free will. Free will is an illusion, you know, absolutely nothing is up to us, everything is a movie. But then they say to themselves, so what? It just doesn't matter. You know, and so this book is kind of like trying to explain. Now I'll go through it briefly because basically the the thesis of the book is that it matters greatly because what happens is this is important. I mean, it might might take a few minutes, but all right. According to a Pew Research poll done earlier this year, 66% of Americans deny that climate change is happening and that human beings are causing it. Okay, with only one third of Americans buying into this thing. Not, we can't do anything about climate change. And climate change is you know, threatening the civilization as we know it. It's threatening the lives of billions of, of people. You know, and and the, the, the more we wait to do what we need to do about it, the worse it's going to become. All right, so, like, so then you ask yourself, why are these people in denial? And there's, there's, there's perhaps other reasons. For example, if you own an oil company and you're making a lot of money on oil, then you may be in denial that it's happening because of self-interest. Because, like, you know, if you admit it to yourself, whatever, and you admit it to a world, then you might make less money, all right? That, that may be one reason. But that, that I think, reason uh, pertains to relatively few people. I think the mass, the majority of people, I believe, are in denial of climate change because these scientists are, selling, are telling them you are responsible, your action and, you know, the action of your friends, your family, are responsible for the, the greatest threat, you know, that humanity has ever faced. And this threat is going to continue for decades, you know, and, and it threatens to, 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 you know, quite literally destroy the civilization we know. Okay, so like, what happens is when people are faced with this threat, you know, because basically the threat is, a, you know, pretty much everybody believes in free will here in the United States. You know, very few people don't. So, like, people are kind of like saying, you of your own free will are doing this. And when the scientists say this to people, they begin to feel guilty. They begin to feel really bad. We have a need, and I'm going to get, get into this in, later in the book, um, you know, on the implications of belief and f- disbelief in free will. It's the next chapter. But what happens is when people... When people's self-image is threatened, people like to believe they're good people. When, they're, when scientists are telling them, you're doing something so immoral, so fundamentally, you know, you're, you're basically destroying the lives, the livelihoods of, of billions of people in the future, people can't deal with that. It, it's too much of an indictment. It's too much of an accusation for them to handle. It makes them feel so guilty that what they do, and they do this unconsciously, because that's how our mind work, works, is they resort to denial. They will deny the threat, what, what the scientists are telling them. So, so in this case, they're denying that climate change is happening because they can't deal with, with the guilt. And so here's, the, how the, here's where the free will connection comes in. Guilt, in order to feel guilty about something, you have to feel fundamentally morally responsible for having done it. In other words, you have to believe in free will. If, if for example, the scientists were telling people, listen, you know, telling the entire public, 
We understand that you don't have a free will. No one has a free will because it's an illusion. We've never had it. We never will. But our behavior as a humanity, as you know, a global population, is is placing not just future generations. It's also like you know, if you're like in your 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, the climate change is going to be affecting the next 10, 20 years, and who knows? You know, if we're lucky, maybe not all that much, but who knows? But if the scientists are, uh, tell people that we know that it's not your fault because you don't have free will, but all this stuff is threatening us, then people are not going to feel guilty. People are not going to feel indicted. People are not going to feel accused. They won't have to deny. They won't, you know, their unconscious won't have to deny this threat because they're not being threatened. Their self-identity, their self-images are being, being threatened. And so the hope is by overcoming this illusion of free will, this 66% of Americans and presumably many people throughout the world that, that are in denial that climate change is happening and that we're causing it will finally be able to face this fact. And once we face the fact, then we can, we can begin to, to really you know, make, make substantial efforts on, on mitigating and adapting to it. All right, so that's the thesis. Um, all right, so now, uh, but, so in order to make this, this claim that free will belief is causing climate change denial, because that's, that's, you know, that's what the logic tells us, you know, a lot of this book goes into demonstrating, showing why free will is impossible, why we don't have it. <clears throat> and like, you know, like the last chapters, I, I basically did that relative to this principle of law, this law of cause and effect. And I'm going to use that same law in this ne next chapter. Again, it's called, it's chapter three, refutation of published free will defenses. But what I do is I take four published articles that were published within the last several years. I think there's couple in 2008, one in 2011, and I don't know, they're, they're pretty, pretty recent. So we're going to start off with an art, and what I do is like, so I, I basically present the defenses of free will that these psychologists or doctors or philosophers offer, because, you know, they're in different disciplines, and I basically take the, the, the arguments apart and refute them to show how they're logically mistaken. They're, they're false. All right, so we'll start with an, an article that Roy Baumeister published in 2008. If I got, this book, incidentally, has 50 references. You know, like, the book is heavily referenced. It's a scholarly work. If you, if you think it's an easy read, no. It's not a popular work. It's a scholarly work, but it's mainly directed toward academians, you know, who are in the position to kind of, like, move the, the thesis along, to study more about it. Okay, so, like, the, um, the, the, um, the paper is called, the article is called Free Will and Scientific Psychology, and it was published again by Roy Baumeister in 2008 in a peer-reviewed journal called Perspectives on Psychological Science. Okay, so that, that is the, the paper we're, um, we're exploring, and chances are you can actually get it online. I don't have it, like, in, in, I, I published all, this also through Kindle, and um, I think the hyperlinks, you can probably hyperlink directly to the article there. But anyway, you can get it. Um, so anyway, so here's how Baumeister frames the question. You know, I'm quoting him. <laughs> Is the person an autonomous en entity who genuinely chooses how to act from among multiple options or... Is the person essentially just one link in a causal chain 
so that the person's actions are merely the inevitable product of lawful causes stemming from prior events, and no one could have ever acted differently than how he or she actually did. So basically saying, do we have a free will or is everything caused? Another way he's framing it is like, could we have done otherwise? Because that's what he's doing. Basically for his first defense, and this is on page 11 of the book, he's referring to... um, to a defense of free will called the principle of alternate possibilities that says, well, we could have, you know, the fact that, like, let's say I had a, a grapefruit for, um, for breakfast today, you know, the fact that I could have had an orange if I wanted to or I could have not had any breakfast if I wanted to, I could have done otherwise, means that, that I have free will. Okay, that's the defense. We're going to just, like, tear that apart because it, it makes no sense at all. Okay, there's two ways, so on, on, um, on page 12, I begin to, to refute it. There's two ways to answer this free will defense. The first answer is that, no, you could not have chosen otherwise. You had to choose that grapefruit because the universe evolved in, in, in the way that made you choose the grapefruit. In other words, a way to understand this, you know, there's only one known universe and there's only one known chain of cause and effect. And the way to understand this is, um, as I explained before, maybe in the last episode, you've got the Big Bang that is the first known event in the universe. Okay, it causes the state of the universe at the, sex mo- at the next moment. <laughs> the, that second state of the universe causes the state of the universe at the next moment. And the third state of the universe causes the state of the universe at the fourth moment. The fourth state of the universe causes the state of the universe at the fifth moment. Are you getting this? So because like the, the, the universe is only the only thing that can cause its, its, its own evolution through time. So you've got you know, this causal chain of the universe at one moment causing the state of the universe at the next. And here's the thing to understand. It's not Anything that's happening, for example, within the second moment of the universe was caused by the Big Bang. Anything that happened within the fifth moment of the universe was most proximately caused by the state of the universe in the fourth moment, and then it was, like, of course, most fundamentally caused by the Big Bang. But so, like, every event within any moment of the universe is also caused by the preceding states of the universe. All right, so according to that understanding, you couldn't have under, you know, chosen otherwise. This is what I refer to in italics as a real-world refutation of the PAP challenge. The PAP is the principle of alternate possibilities, okay? So no, you, you couldn't have. I mean, that's the illusion. The illusion is to think that you could have. That's the illusion of free will. So basically what they're saying is like, you know, well, I have a free will because I believe I have a free will, because, because it seems to me I have a free will. No, it doesn't work that way. Okay, um, alternately, you could answer his question, well, yes, you could have chosen differently. You know, I could have chosen a, uh, an orange rather than a grapefruit um, f- for breakfast, but I could have done so only theoretically. You know, in other words, like, if the universe had evolved differently, or if my life had evolved differently, or if I was in a different universe, then yes, I could have chosen differently, but the universe did not evolve differently, and I'm not in a different universe, and my life did not evolve differently, obviously. So, while in theory, logical theory in a sense, 
we could have acted, acted differently. Um, it would only be in, in circumstances that don't exist, being in a different universe, being a different person, having a different life. So, all right, so that, <clears throat> that pretty much answers that. <sighs> okay. His Baumeister's next defense, again, we're on page 12. He, um, he's now invoking Kant's, really, Kant is supposed to be a pretty sharp guy, philosopher, but he couldn't, he couldn't come to terms. He understood the logic of why we don't have free will, but he couldn't accept it. So, so he, refi- he redefined free will. You can't do that. This guy's a philosopher. He should know better. <laughs> it's called like a straw man argument. So basically, he, refi- he redefines free will to say like, well, we have a free will where, in Baumeister's words, I'm using his words now because it's his article, that we are, quote, quote, acting in a morally virtuous manner based on enlightened reasoning. All right, so think about it. The premise is like, if, if, we're, if we're acting in a moral manner, if we're, if we're acting morally, we have a free will, and if it's not based on, quote, unquote, enlightened reasoning, whatever that might be, you know, then we have a free will, and if we're not, we don't. That is an absurd claim, it's an absurd defense. And the easiest way to refute it, because I, I don't get into um, the more, more details on this, I simply refute it by saying, well, the, um, this moral virtuous manner, this enlightened reasoning, is not exempt from the law of causality. In other words, like, the, the, the reasoning and the virtue would have causes, okay? And as such, because they have causal antecedents, they would regress back to the Big Bang, so these decisions would therefore not be freely willed. Very straightforward refutation of this free will defense. Okay, again, like, even if you call the decision moral, that, you know, the decisions being moral does not in any way somehow exempt, exempt it from, from being caused. And again, like, um, you can't have it be freely willed if it's not caused, because, you know, like, then it wouldn't be caused by anything. And if it is caused, enough free will, again, remember, means that, like, we are causing the, the moral decision in this case. So, like, as soon as you introduce causality, you introduce a chain of cause and effect that regresses back to before we were born and makes this moral decision not freely willed, and, and, you know, impossibly freely willed. Okay. So, all right, now... Um, Again, at the bottom of page 12, we've got about 12 minutes left. We've got time. Um, this is weird. This is, again, like the, the kinds of, you know, distorted arguments that these guys come up with to try to defend free will. It's, it's somewhat embarrassing, you know, because, these, again, these guys are PhDs. It's a little scary because, like, you know, for example, in philosophy, more than 50% of philosophers believe they have a free will, but they do the same thing Kant does. They change the meaning of the word free will. And, and even that doesn't work, but they, they still don't get it. But anyway, here's, um, here's what Baumeister next asserts. He says, quote, Free will should be understood not as the starter or motor of action, but rather as a passenger who occasionally grabs the steering wheel, or even as just the navigator who says to turn left up ahead, unquote. This is on page 14 of his, of his uh, paper, of his article. But what, what Baumeister 
doesn't understand is causality doesn't allow this kind of interference, this, this passenger who you occasionally grabs a steering wheel or the navigator who, who, who occasionally says to turn left up ahead. Causality, in other words, like, and I use, a, I use an example of this. I use dominoes. Let's say you have um, a series of a quadrillion dominoes. We're on page 13 now. Okay, quadrillion dominoes. Okay, now causality says like that the first domino in this series of a quadrillion dominoes completely determines the, the toppling of the quadrillionth domino. In other words, you, you've seen dominoes topple each other, right? So that's how it works. In other words, like causality doesn't allow for, for either a break or interference with this causal chain. In other words, you can't have like the 98th domino um, not be influenced by the or the the, <laughs> the next uh, next to last of the quadrillionth domino be influenced by anything other than the preceding dominoes the dominoes dominoes that toppled in sequence you know regressing back to the first one causality doesn't allow for breaks or interferences with a causal chain okay that that's clear all right and so that that pretty much answers that. All right, now another, another, another very strange, perplexing um, defense that he comes up with. And, and again, these are, like, these are like amazingly creative, but they're so amazingly illogical, you have to wonder. So he references this guy, Galwitzer, who in 1999 wrote an article that suggests that, in Baumeister's words, Quote, free will would have more to do with deciding now to walk to the store when the rain stops, parentheses later, and parentheses, than with directing each footstep during the actual trip, end quote. Okay, this is Baumeister, page 15. So you know what, what he's, what's he saying? He's saying if, if we make a decision that's not based on a current um, action, but it's based on a future action, then that can be freely willed. It's absurd. It's completely illogical. Causality doesn't allow for that. In other words, like if, if I make a decision about you know, what I'm going to do immediately or I'm going to make a decision about what I'm going to get for dinner tonight, that decision is going to have causes. It's not you know, just the fact that it's about like dinner tonight or like what am I going to do, what I'm going to do over the weekend doesn't exempt that decision from causality. And how does he not get this? That's, you know, it's completely, completely perplexing. But, you know, that's another mystery. That, that, in other words, that, one of the, uh, perhaps a bigger mystery than, than, than our, the fact that we don't have a really, uh, have, we don't really have a free will is how these guys that got PhDs, that, that write, you know, Baumeister has had 500 articles published. You know, he's like a quote-unquote eminent psychologist. For, for these guys to not get this, that is a powerful mystery. Then Actually, they, 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 they do understand this. There's a, a science writer, Chris Mooney, who took, um, compiled the findings of what, what's referred to as motivated reasoning. Okay, he published a book recently called The Republican Brain, and it's something the Republicans tend to do more than Democrats, but everybody does it. And what happens is a lot of times when we're making political decisions or decisions in general, we think we're like objectively evaluating the data, the evidence, and making our decisions based on that. No, we're, we're, basically, we're basically making our decisions based on our worldview, based on what we emotionally need to be true, okay? So, um, and so that's what these, you know, these academics must be doing. 
It's unfortunate because it's completely unscientific. And you, you can understand if the, if the lay public of non-academians, you know, do this. But, like, for scientists to do this, it's like, it's just like, it's unforgivable. I mean, you, you forgive them because they don't have a free will. But, all right. Um, all right. So, like, now he, he goes to another kind of, like, really, really absurd free will defense. He, he cites an experiment by... Galliot, Baumeister, he was in on this one, DeWall, Manor, Plant, and some other guys in 2007. And he, I'm going to read this because it's so absurd. They're suggesting that through raising blood glucose levels by drinking lemonade, one can regain a measure of the depleted free will. All right? (laughs) In other words, he he says that, like, they, they say in the study that our free will is diminished. Because actually, they, I'm going to read from before that. This, this, this paper proposes that the waning of self-control subsequent to its exercise during a previous task is due to the waning of free will. They don't understand the concept of free will. Right? In, in this instance, they're confusing, they're conflating will with free will. In other words, like, sometimes we have the willpower. You ever, like, want to really study, you know, you study for a test or something, and if you have the willpower to really focus, to really concentrate, right? You know, and you do it, and you're studying well, and it feels great and all. Other times, you're tired, you're distracted, you just don't want to study for whatever reason. You don't have that willpower. That's not free will. That's about willpower. It's a completely different topic so like anyway these guys are saying that like that like you know that if you do a a task you know and you you repeat it you know or it's a task after another task that your free will is depleted and if you drink lemonade you're going to have more glucose in your system that's going to give you more free will it's too absurd i mean that the guy is an academia and says this it's just funny i'm sorry i'm sorry all right we're we're done with baumeister we're done with Baumeister. Again, we're, we're, we're on page 13. And so we, now we're moving to um, a philosopher. Baumeister is a psychologist. And his name is Fingeret, uh, Herbert Fingeret, I believe. And he published an article in 2008. And let me go through my references and find exactly what that article is. Okay, it's on page 35. Um, all right. He, t- he published an article called Free Choice... Actually, maybe he is a psychologist. Uh, I think he's a philosopher. But anyway, this, this article is published in Current... No, no, he's a psychologist. I'm sorry. Uh, it's published in Current Psychology in, in 2008. All right, so the, 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 the name of the article is called Free Choice. All right, and... Okay, his first point is kind of like... It's beside the point. Basically, let me... Let me um, he de- basically deems the matter mute. He says, like, it doesn't matter whether we believe we have a free will or not. Because then he says, quote, he, say, he deems the matter moot, you know, inconsequential. He says, quote, I cannot live my life on a deterministic basis. You know, basis, deterministic meaning on the, on the principle that everything has a cause and all that. Asserting, um, nor can you. If you are alive, you are conscious of making choices. Okay, that's on page three of his um, thing. All right, my answer to that, I cite this guy Breer, who wrote a book in 1989, this guy Paraboom, who wrote a book in 2011, this woman Blackmore, who wrote a book in 2005, and my own experience in saying that, no, you can. You can act under the understanding that everything is predetermined, that absolutely nothing is up to us. You know, and, and what I say is that, um, I'll quote myself here, 
However, it is possible to integrate the understanding that one's choices are deterministic. Integrating the perspe- perspective is as straightforward as actively reminding oneself of the causal nature of one's choices and shifting one's cognitive and emotional responses to reflect the corollary that in their conventional application of personal guilt, blame, arrogance, and envy do not any longer make sense. So in other words, what I'm saying is like, yes, in other words, like, you can live under the reality. You can, like, overcome the illusion that we have a free will. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy to do this automatically because in my experience, it's not. And actually, to the, when, goodness willing, the world, you know, we all understand this, it'll be much easier because what makes it really hard is because, like, so much in the media, so much in literature and all assumes we have free will, so it gets very confusing. So basically, the idea, like to overcoming the illusion of free will is you remind yourself. Somebody does something wrong to you, right? Um, Somebody, a friend of yours says something that's hurtful, okay? Rather than like saying, oh, you have a free will, you're being immoral, you know, you deserve that, that I do something back to you, you know, rather than focusing on the person, you know, you realize, wait a minute, you know, this person did it, right? And I may have to address it in some way or another, I may have to uh, talk to them, but you also understand that the person was compelled to say what they said. You know, it, what they said wasn't up to them. It's kind of as if they were like, as if they had like a, an electrode implanted in their brain and somebody like with a walkie-talkie or something was making them say what they said. So like, what's the importance of this? Like, you wouldn't be angry at your friend for having said that. You might be angry at the person with the electrode and, or, you know, or in this case, like the universe that, that made the person do that. So like, so again, it, it is relatively straightforward and it's not easy but it's straightforward to shift from the perspective from the illusion that we have free will to the understanding that we don't that that everything is completely causal it's just then the idea is like the more you do this the more and and actually within my life i find it works you know like people do things like i hear things i read things of people saying you know immoral things you know hurtful things and all and yeah, I, I, I say to myself, well, I don't, I'm, I don't become angry at, at them as much. And, I, you know, I, I still remain kind of like, you know, frustrated or disappointed that the universe would have had them do that, you know, because I, I don't understand why that would be, you know, to begin with. But at least, at least it preserves my relationship with people because we don't really relate to the universe. You know, the universe is just what makes us do stuff. We relate to other people. So to the extent we understand this, we conserve and preserve and maintain healthier relationships with the people around us. All right, we're running out of time, so we're on page 14. And so, like, again, like in the next episode, we'll continue to refute Fingerette's um, 2008 paper defending free will, and then we'll go on. This, this, this book has, like, 56 pages. Actually, it's, there's about um, 30. It's a brief book because, like, I wanted to make it concise because, it, you know, uh, people don't have much of an attention span, whatever. But it's actually only 31 pages, and the rest is references. And so who, maybe we'll get through this sooner than I thought. You know, so we're, we're on episode number five. You know, we, we might have a few more episodes, but I'll continue with the, the refutation of free will defenses by Fingerette next time. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you again next time on Exploring the Illusion of Free Will.